0: Good morning, sons and daughters of the Most High God. I'm very blessed to be able to spend this morning with you, opening the Word of God. Before we start, if you just want to take a moment, we're going to bow our heads and just pray. Dear Father God in heaven, I just thank you so much for your goodness, for your faithfulness. In the places where we are weak, you are strong. We are but bowls of clay full of your light, and I ask that your light will shine through us that we will see you and that we will see you glorified in your word this morning. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. The SS Garisopa, I've been practising that name all week. Um, is it Garasopa? I feel like it should be more ethnic, but it's in English. It was a British steam merchant ship. So I imagine it's more Garasopa or is that to Australian? Someone will correct me at the end, I'm sure. But it was a merchant ship that was launched in 1919 and it had a long service and a successful service and during World War II it was used to also ship various things um, across the ocean. On one particular occasion in 1941 it was going near the Galway coast of Ireland. And they were fighting rough seas and the coal was being burnt up and the ship was starting to fail and the sailors were afraid that it wouldn't get to port. So they decided that they would go off into Ireland and refill. Unfortunately, there was a German ship waiting and it sunk the Garisopa to the bottom of the ocean on the 16th of February, 1941, to this day or the Germans recorded it as the 17th of February, so it could have been tomorrow. It sat there with a cargo full of silver, approximately 600,000 pounds worth, which was estimated to be a $1.8 million US, or potentially up to $30.66 million US. The English government decided that they needed to retrieve the ship, so they asked for tenders. And sure enough, the Odyssey Marine Exploration Group came in and they signed the papers. And so they began to search for the Garisopa. And sure enough, two months later, within two months, they found it. And they retrieved 61 tons of silver bullion. 61 tons. They didn't even have that much recorded on the ship, some of that was actually unrecorded, uninsured silver bullion that they brought up, which was sold for $210 million US. Jesus said, when you seek, you will find. But was Jesus talking about treasure hunting? I don't know about you guys, I'm not particularly organised. Some of you may be really good at finding things and remembering where things are. My husband and my best friend used to love to laugh about how every time I entered the room, I would ask, have you seen, do you know where, did you put my, because I was constantly losing something in the house. And maybe if you don't resonate with this, I want you to think about your children and how your children deal with it, with finding things. How many times have you had a child or your spouse walk into the room and say, have you seen my shoe? And then you walk into the living room and there it is. But on other days, you look and you look and you look and you just can't find it. So what was Jesus talking about? Was he giving a promise universally that when you seek, you shall find? Or was he talking about that you shall find everything that you lose? Or was he talking about something else? This week I did a word study and so we're going to do a Bible study with some Greek word study in it this morning. And if you type into your search engine, the Bible verse that you're looking up and interlinear, it will bring you to a website and you'll have something crop up like this. So this is what the Greek looks like. Then what you do is you click on the blue word over the top of it and it will bring you into a page like this, which will tell you all the places that that word occurs. So if this week you um, are reading your Bible and you read a word and you think, I wonder what that means in the Greek, you now know how to do it. You can find it. But remember, with every every language, words change over time and context, context changes the meaning of the word. So what does this word mean? It comes from the Greek word zeteo, which means I seek, search for, desire, require or demand. It's more than just a superficial sweep that your children do. It's a deeper, more deliberate thing. It basically means the seeking that Jesus is talking about here is intentional, dedicated and focused to find a resolution. It is a very focused seeking. It's not like when your kids come in and they're like, hey, mom, where's the yellow lemon in this picture? Can you see it? Can you see the yellow lemon in the picture? Some of you can, some of you can't. Behind the duck. In plain sight. (laughs) So it's more than that superficial looking. It's a very intense, deliberate seeking that Jesus is talking about. He's talking about intentional and being dedicated and focused to find a resolution. The other place that it... This word occurs, the teo, twice in the book of Matthew. The first place that it occurs is just before Matthew 7 7. So if you want to, you can open up your Bibles or your tablets or your phones, wherever you have your, your Bible or where you read from. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25 to 34. That's Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25 to 34. As you open that heading, is that familiar to any of you? Anyone feel comfortable calling out what the heading is? Yeah, don't worry. So the whole theme of this passage that where Jesus is about to talk about seeking is, is about not worrying. How many people here ha- have worried ever in their lives? Ever in your life, have you ever worried? What about in the last week? Anyone been worried this week? Yes, maybe this morning. A couple of us, yes. Worry is a very fairly common thing, and yet Jesus speaks to it. And so this passage is for us today, for those of us who have those days where we're really concerned about how things work out. Jesus had words to speak to us about it. So this is what he says: Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink; about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than clothes? And the body uh, is not life more than food? And the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Anyone done that yet? Because that would be a good skill. I reckon I'd live forever if I could do that. It doesn't help. It, actually, worry shortens your life. Stress and worry has... um degrading properties on your brain which will cause you to live a shorter life. I read all about it over the holidays. And why do you worry about clothes? In verse 28, see how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labour or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you or you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? I bet some ladies said that this morning when they were running to church, huh? (laughs) Don't worry about it. God loves you. And whatever we bring to him, he knows that we're doing our best. So don't worry about what you wear. For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. So where did you see seek in that passage? Seek ye first what? The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So when we look at seeking, in the context of Matthew, we're looking at an intentional, deliberate, um, focused seeking that has to do with seeking into the kingdom of God and for his righteousness. That our seeking is not for the peripherals and the externals, but it's for finding a way to worship and know God better and to draw closer to him and to spread the culture of heaven here on earth. Because as ambassadors of Jesus, that's what we're here to do. We're here to spread the culture of heaven on earth. So we treat people the way people in heaven treat each other, right? That's the purpose. The second place that we find the word seek is in Matthew 28 and verse 5 to 6. And I've got it up on the screen for those who are able to see it. The angel said to the woman, to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, he was risen just as he said. The context of this verse is that Jesus was crucified, he was laid in the tomb to rest and come Sunday morning the ladies have their embalming oils, they have extra cloth, they're ready to fix Jesus' body up to prepare it for burial, they turn up and the rock is rolled away and the body is gone. And here it says that these women were coming and they were seeking Jesus deliberately in a concentrated, focused fashion. They were looking for Jesus. And because they were looking for him, the angel pointed them in the right direction, that he had been crucified, but he had risen. And so when we look at seeking in the context of seek that you will find, the seeking is intentional, dedicated, and focused to find a resolution It's seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness in our lives but it's also about seeking Jesus. The biggest thing that we need to seek in our lives is peace with God. And like the last verse we read, when we do that, it will fall into place. If we are busy and worried and stressed, if we're feeling lonely and going this life's journey on our own, if the kids are driving us crazy, or whether life is going absolutely brilliantly exactly the way that we hoped that it would, the person that we need to seek and find and spend time with is Jesus. Francine Bell was an accomplished author, and some of you may have even read her books, She, before she met Jesus, her life was quite hectic. She had already got her, um, she was a published author, she spent all her time either writing or reading. If you're an author, you know that you have to read so that you can write well. You've got to be inspired so you can put out. And so she spent all her time reading or writing. If she wasn't reading, then she was writing. If she wasn't writing, then she was reading. She had her children running around the house, but she was completely disconnected from them. She was married to her husband, but they were in constant conflict. Her life was falling apart before her eyes, and yet, instead of dealing with it, she just kept writing and reading. Just don't deal with it, and it will eventually go away. And one day, when their family was in full crisis, she walked out into the front yard, and she just thought, what am I gonna do? And the neighbor's son came up, and he said to her, hey, I have a church for you. And she was so desperate that she thought, okay, well, what's the worst that can happen at this point? And so she went to this church and she saw an expository sermon. It was the first time she'd seen that kind of thing. And she asked the pastor to come around and give them Bible studies. And she and her husband discovered Jesus. They sought him with all their hearts and they found him. And their lives began to turn around. She no longer was disconnected from the kids. She was there. She was playing with them. She was feeding them. She stopped writing and she stopped reading and she got writer's block and she couldn't write anymore and she just focused her time and her energy on seeking God, seeking Jesus, knowing his kingdom and his righteousness and her family life began to flourish. Her life began to fall back into place and after three years, she was sitting one day reading the book of Hosea And she became inspired and she wrote the book, Redeeming Love. Her name's Francine River, not Francine Bell. I confuse them all the time. That is a true story. (laughs) Francine River wrote Redeeming Love based on the story of Hosea. And now she writes Christian fiction? Christian? Yes, Christian fiction. (laughs) Non-fiction. I never know which is which. Now I know because I have learned from the front of church. Thank you for teaching me. So she she writes Christian non-fiction books and she shares the message of Jesus' love with people through her stories. And people's lives change. It's quite amazing. When we seek Jesus... The Bob, in Jeremiah, we have a promise. When you seek me, you will find me. When you seek me with all your heart. God wants to be found by us. And so we need to actually be deliberate and intentional, not just do a childish look running around, oh, yes, Lord, here's my five minutes, but to seek, seek him deeply and to want to spend time with him. So the next thing I wanted to look at was the word Find. The word find in the Greek is Hirosko, hyrosko. It's a long one, hirosko. And it means I find, learn, discover, especially after seeking. So when we often think about finding something, we think about finding something in the context of a final destination, right? I am looking for my pen. I have found my pen. I am finished, Right? But when we look at hirasko, it actually is a broader theme than that. Finding is learning, discovering and growing. It's a process, it's not a destination per se. Which is interesting when we look at how it's used in different places in the Bible. It's used in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28 to 29 where it says come to me all you who are weary and burdened and i will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for i am gentle and humble in heart and you will f- what you will find rest for your souls so when we look at how Matthew uses this word rescue he's using it in the context of spirituality. When we seek God, we will find him and it's a spiritual rest that we find in Jesus. So when we come to Jesus and we seek him diligently, deliberately, with intention and intentionality and focus, in him we find spiritual rest. And in him, we find a safe place, a place where we know that we can be cared for and receive what we need to replenish our hearts and our minds and our bodies. In Jesus, we find strength of character and friendship. In Jesus, we find a fortress to keep us safe from the things that life continues to throw at us. In Jesus, we find a friend, who is willing to help us to build our characters to be more than just what we are, but to be what he designed us to be, to build our characters in him. The other thing we find about the word hirosku in the context of Matthew is that it's also a physical thing. It's a physical finding. So in Matthew chapter 21 and verse 2, we find that same word and it's a very literal thing. So Jesus got his disciples together. This is just leading up to before Passover and he's about to go into the city for the triumphal entry. And Jesus said to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. And so he rode that donkey into Jerusalem as the rightful Messiah to fulfill prophecy. So what I take from this as a principle is that when God needs to fulfill his word in our lives, he will, pro- he will provide us for our physical needs. Jesus doesn't just care about our hearts being right, although that is the very, very important. He also cares about our physicality. So finding in Jesus we find all our needs are met. When we look at this passage it shows us that God cares about us, both spiritually and physically. He's like a good father who sits down and spends time with us, getting to know us and getting to understand who we are and where we're at. But the challenge is, whenever I preach these sermons, is that there's someone sitting here who is thinking, but God hasn't met the need that I had. God hasn't answered the prayer that I prayed. God hasn't been where I want him to be in my life. Maybe you dreamed of being rich and helping the church and doing great things with your wealth. Maybe you dreamed of being married but never found the right person. Maybe you dreamed of having children and yet that never happened. Maybe you dreamed of getting healthy and that hasn't come to pass yet. The fact is that when we preach about seeking and finding, it opens up these wounds that we have carried in our lives. And there's no good answer. I wish that I could point you to a Bible verse that will just dissolve all the disappointment that you've got and make you feel all warm and fuzzy inside but I haven't found it yet. What I have found, and that gives me comfort on my hard days, is in Ecclesiastes. So if you wanna turn to Ecclesiastes chapter nine, it's a good place to go. Now Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon, who was said to be the wisest man of his time. He was rich, he had a palace, He had the hanging gardens. He was um, handsome. He had 300 royal wives and 700 concubines, which maybe didn't make him very wise. But in some men's minds, maybe that made him seem successful. He had land. He had chariots. He had horses. He had camels. He had a menagerie. And in his day and time, he would have been Forbes and Time magazine and business magazines, top man to be. And yet despite all of that, Solomon didn't feel comfortable all the time in his life and he struggled despite having what would seem to be everything. And this is what Solomon wrote that gives me comfort. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 11. I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Seeking God with all your heart will not give you a fairy tale existence. I wish it would, but it doesn't. But it will give you strength to fight the battle, a sense of purpose in your life, a sense of being cared for and that you matter. And it will give you a heavenly home where you can spend eternity with Jesus. Prior to the verse of, prior to what Solomon said in verse 11, from verse 7 to 10 in Ecclesiastes 9, he says, "This is his advice." Solomon has tried everything in life that you can ever imagine. Everything in life that you can ever imagine, and. This is his conclusion after having been rich, after being famous, after having no need, after having everything. This is his conclusion of what the best thing to do in life is. Go and eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart for God has already approved what you do. When we walk with Jesus, we are approved in him and we have confidence in walking with him. So enjoy the daily things that you are having in your life. In verse 8 it says, always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. That means dress in a way that makes you feel good about life. White is also about righteousness. It's about wearing God's righteousness. Um, But I think it's also about taking joy in the simple things of putting on your clothes in the morning. The other day, I put on a really nice dress that I hadn't worn in probably a year because I lost it in the bottom of my cupboard. I need to do a clean out. And I pulled it on and I went out and I said, what do you think, Alice? And she goes, why are you being so fancy? Is there a special occasion? And I said, life is an occasion. And she just rolled her eyes at me and walked away. (laughs) I thought she'd be like, yes, life is an occasion, Mum. I love that, but no. I will keep hammering that into her because life is an occasion. Use use your nice perfume. Bring out the nice china and let the kids run around on the carpet because that is what he's on about here is to anoint your head with oil and to enjoy the blessings that God has brought you. Enjoy life with your wife or your husband whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. I love Solomon, he's so dark sometimes. For this is your lot in life and your toilsome labour under the sun. So enjoy those things, enjoy the toil. Jean Roddenberry actually says that the best part of life is in the struggle. In verse 10, whatever your hand finds you to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead, where you are going, where we are all going, there is neither working nor planning, nor knowledge or wisdom. And finally, in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13, the second last verse of Ecclesiastes, before the book ends, this is what Solomon says Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the duty of man. We may not receive all the worldly things we desire in this life. Things may not work out perfectly the way that we planned. In fact, I don't think anything I've ever planned has ever gone 100% to plan the way that I want it. And I could be sad about that and dwell on it, or I can look at it and go, praise God for the things that succeeded. Praise God that we get to be here together this Sabbath morning. Praise God that he has given us his word that we can seek him with all our hearts with intentionality and that we have the promise that when we seek him with all our hearts, with all our minds, with all our soul, he will be found by us and in him we will find joy, we will find rest for our souls and we will find a better tomorrow than you could ever imagine. So seek God and you will find him.